the white stripes there, Seven Nation Army. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James. Our guests today are Nevna Sporovska, Sally Goldner and Matthew Connell. And we do have Nevna Sporovska, the co-convener of the Victorian Pride Lobby on the line. Nevna, welcome to the show. James, always a pleasure to be here. You were saying off mic, we're living in a moment. Sure is. There is so much happening. There is so much news at the moment. Anyone could just be forgiven for wanting to throw their phone or device into the ocean. But I think it's incredibly important that we stay connected to issues that are important to us and take measured steps to debrief and reflect where possible. But there is so much going on at this very moment in time. Of course, we are in the middle of a federal election campaign. People could be forgiven for missing the state budget, the Victorian budget, but it did happen this week. Uh, what did Dan Andrews allocate the LGBTIQA plus community? This was a really difficult budget. So after two years of COVID, we're currently living with COVID recovery as COVID very much continues in our community. I was at the lockup um, and there is no greater reminder of just how present it is then when you get the email saying that there was an outbreak at the budget lockup um, itself. So this budget delivered approximately $14.7 million for LGBTIQ plus communities. And we were really pleased to see that there was a lot of steps in the right direction when it came to funding things like a new specialist LGBTIQ plus legal service that's going to have its home in the Victorian Pride Centre Something like that just really meets the unmet demand for legal service provision in the LGBTIQ plus community. Uh, but curiously, of this budget, $14.7 million in total, approximately 50% of it is being allocated to parties, festivals and events across the state. And while certainly myself and I think many other queer people love nothing more than a party, in times where we've had the Mental Health Royal Commission say the LGBTIQ community is in fact a priority community. When we have so much data that comes out of research like Private Lives 3 and writing themselves in for saying that our communities are in crisis, it really is a time to consider how we can meet the health, mental health and wellbeing needs of LGBTIQ plus communities while still very much celebrating our lives our experiences, no matter where you are in the state. Yeah, I took it. I took a look at those allocations and I thought, wow, it's a party budget, uh, obviously aimed at the election and election sweetener after two years of, of lockdowns here in Victoria. Uh, do you think that's the motivation? I can't say what the motivation is, but if you had to put two and two together in an election year, you could be forgiven for thinking that the two were connected. But it certainly stands out considering last year there was an investment of $45 million to progress equality, improve health and mental health outcomes. And we saw some really solid investments like recurrent funding for Switchboard, uh, which is so welcome and so needed. Uh, but in comparison, we're at $14.7 million this year. And certainly our communities have been crying out for help when it comes to things like addressing the long list of gender affirmation care and how long it's taking to get into that and funding our LGBTIQ plus community controlled health service providers who do so much for the community with so much, uh, with so little government funding. Yeah, I mean, I was disappointed that there was no specific allocation for mental health beds uh, for the LGBTIQA plus community. And of course, the government is spending over $300 million on the Cherry Creek Youth Detention Centre. And you think, well, hey, that money could have been very well spent in our mental health system, especially for beds. Exactly. There's so many comparisons that you can draw. There is a prison that's since empty in Victoria that takes up millions of dollars. And when we think about how vital every dollar spent is in the community and how much you can get out of it by directing to these LGBTIQ plus community controlled healthcare providers, there are very few of them, but the work that they do is quite literally life-saving. And so it's up to us as a community, as community organisations, to really help the government in guiding where that funding goes. 
And I think, too, in particular, the incredible reporting mechanisms the Victorian government has set up when we think of things like the LGBTIQ plus task force, the justice working group, the health working group. These have community representation, community members who are very connected to issues in the grassroots, on the ground, across the state, and they can report to the government, to the commissioner and to the Minister for Equality himself what those priority areas are. And I doubt in a year like the one that we're having that the number one priority was parties. Yeah, and I mean, what surprised me was that there was no mention in Martin Foley's media release of intimate partner or domestic violence, which, of course, we saw a spike of that during the during the lockdowns. Uh, pretty disappointing that that wasn't included. There wasn't more funding for that. Some people say we need a queer refuge. And that's something that we have tackled in our budget submission and previous budget submission, the need for investment in intimate partner and family violence, the need to address uh, other priority areas uh, like victim support. These areas are so vital. And again, the evidence and the data are there. Never before have we had such a rich and compelling data set coming out of Private Lives 3 and writing themselves in for that is just telling a story of crisis. It's telling us that, you know, one in four young LGBTIQ people have experienced some form of homelessness. It's telling us about the really high rates of suicidality. And while we always need to make sure that we're celebrating our communities and engaging in ways to support each other, a real and very visible way for the government to show support is through funding services that desperately need it. There's a million dollars allocated for LGBTIQ organisations' capacity building in a program that supports LGBTIQ emerging leaders. Uh, what do they mean by capacity building, I wonder? That's capacity building grants. So it's a grants program that's been set up to support the sustainability of LGBTIQ plus organisations and groups. So organisations that are queer-led can apply for funding to address uh, organisational constraints. Um, and this is something that had expired in a previous budget. So we're really pleased to see that it's continued in this budget. Particularly, the lobby has a focus on supporting funding and sustaining LGBTIQ plus community controlled organisations. So where there is specific and directed funding going to those organisations, we give that a very big thumbs up. There's $3.2 million for a trial of LGBTIQA plus safe spaces in Western Victoria with a focus on mental health and wellbeing. I'm guessing that trial is looking at a potential rollout across the state of that? We sought some more information about that from the Equality Minister and just as an announcement, we think it's incredibly positive to see the expansion of support services and peer support services across the state, especially where they don't already exist. We'll be really interested in seeing the detail and what is available for young people in those areas because at the moment that is an area of high need but where no current service providers exist. So if we're going to be funneling them into existing support services like Switchboard, we'd be really interested to know how those organisations are going to be set up so the appropriate support can be provided to those who need it. 1.5 1.5 million for trans and gender diverse in community health programs. Very welcome, especially during the current climate where the federal government is doing so much damage to, to mental health in the community. That's right. So that's another one that we absolutely welcome. And it continues from the previous budget where there was a very hearty investment in gender diverse communities, mental health and wellbeing plans, as well as, I think, off the top of my head, 20 million in investment in trans and gender diverse health. So that's very welcome and encouraged. We love to see the trans and gender diverse community supported. Of course, the lobby had a planning day recently looking at strategy as we approach the Victorian state election. I know you're going to be making announcements, but what can you tell us now about what you decided and where your focus will be? We are really excited about the opportunities that the Victorian state election bring us. So that's an opportunity to hear from our communities about what's important to them, to engage with candidates of every single political party to understand, so they can understand 
the priorities of our communities and to really turn the dial on queer representation when it comes to parliament. We would love to see a rainbow parliament and lift the dismal numbers of queer representation that we currently have in the Victorian Parliament. In fact, it's one of the worst in the country, but also really working alongside our fellow community LGBTIQ plus organisations to put our issues on the map and make sure that it's not put aside as a fringe issue and very much seen front and centre where they need to be. Yeah, absolutely. Now, do you know of any queer candidates who have put their hand up and said, yep, they're running at the state election? There've been a few. There've been a few. So it's great to see Harriet Ching put her hand up again to be running in Western Victoria. And through our It Takes More campaign, we're going to be monitoring candidates as they put their hand up. So we can start collecting a data set of people who identify as LGBTIQA+ and measure that over coming years to see if candidates are, one, running, and two, getting elected, because that will tell us where the support's needed. Finally, Nevena, your analysis of the uh, federal election campaign so far. I'm assuming you were at the uh, the forum last night, the election forum at the Pride Centre, or watching online? I was very much watching online, as I just received that budget email saying there'd been a COVID breakout. Uh, But I think Full kudos to Equality Australia for putting that together. We need to have those kind of forums. We need to be able to ask questions and hold decision makers and future decision makers to account. There was a really strong variety of questions from those from the intersex community, from people living with HIV, trans and gender diverse community members, and voters and potential voters were able to see where the three parties stood on those particular issues. So I do hope that informs how they're going to be directing their vote uh, come May 21. Nevna Sparovska, thank you so much for joining me today on 3CR. Always a pleasure, James. Nevna Sparovska there from the Victorian Pride Lobby. You are an in-your-face on 3CR. And here's Patty Smith.
horses, Paddy Smith there, free money. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James. Joined by the wonderful Sally Goldner from Byline's Victoria and 3CR's Out of the Pan. Hey, Sally. Hey, James. Hey, listeners. Sally, it was a huge um, election event last night at the Pride Centre. You were watching. Uh, what were your observations? So, yeah, I was there, and just um, we've, I'm here for a few reasons today. These comments will be as myself, not as by alliance. Um, I was there and felt very disappointed, um, to be honest, both um, and concerned both at the process and the content. Um, it was all pre-arranged questionnaires with a range of questions that were reasonable, but the public couldn't ask question, ask questions, which was really disappointing. And it just felt very... I don't know, control-freaked and not very community-oriented and not very largely not authentic and accountable. And some of the answers were, I think, incredibly worrying from some of our candidates and some of the candidates representing the three parties as well. Wow. So that's really concerning. So it sounds like a a television network basically was running it like it was an episode of Q&A or something. Pretty much, yeah. So, yeah, there was a predetermined audit for all the questioners, and they were fair questions. A trans person went first asking about the recent events, and there was lots of words of sympathy, but there wasn't really um, a lot of concrete action. Um, there were questions on intersex, and unfortunately, representing the Labor Party, um, Penny Wong uh, unfortunately gave a very poor answer Um, which showed she was not up with the issues, and that's disconcerting. Andrew Bragg represented the Liberal National Party and kept, understandably, look, to be fair, having to say that these were his personal opinions, but he's in a party which is dominated by, to put it politely, social conservatives. The shining light, regardless of one's political views, was Janet Rice from the Greens, who was just felt on top of it, um, intuitively involved in all the issues, and gave good good leadership. So it sounds like, let's start on the Labor Party for a second, it sounds like they should have sent somebody who actually has carriage of the portfolio rather than someone who's focused on foreign affairs, perhaps. Absolutely. Um, It would have been much better had they had the health spokesperson or perhaps um, whoever's going to be Shadow Attorney General or currently Shadow Attorney General and Attorney General if elected, which I believe would be Mark Dreyfus, um, who is a... Um, you know, I've always found to be quite reasonable. But, um, you know, Petty Wong, I'm sorry to say I felt she was very disinterested, uninformed and ill-prepared. And that's, um, I think we can do better than that um, in for our communities. And if, you know, we're well aware, let's call a spade a shovel, that we're not probably going to get far. We won't, we'll go backwards under a Liberal national majority government if they're elected we'll be able to hold things at bay if it's a minority government. But if it's Labor majority or minority, I just wonder how much we are really going to, to progress, um, if, if that's the case. So it sounds like this format at the forum last night where there were predetermined questions uh, kind of undermines the democratic process. It meant that people couldn't ask follow-up questions, uh, for example, of Penny Wong in relation to uh, her intersex response. Uh, is that a fair kind of analysis of, of, of how it all landed? That's pretty reasonable. I have to say that I did see Penny talking with um, the representative of um, Intersex Human Rights Australia after after the you know sort of forum closed and the people were still there and just leaving. Um, but uh, I don't really think that um, that's um, you know sort of I don't think that's you know I don't think it's good enough. And I think there was just a lot of broad brushstroke stuff. Um, Penny Wong, I um, said, um, quote, I thought it, um, I thought that. Um, in relation to intersex um, health and surgery issues, quote, so I thought that should have should be dealt with. Well, that's really not an adequate response at all. Well, no, and it's incredibly insensitive because it's not dealt with properly mm. so often uh, and that's what causes so much distress and so much harm. Absolutely, yeah. And just the other emissions overall because of this predetermined questioning were 
and I mean, we could go through a whole list, but for me as a bi person, bi people are the biggest sexuality under the rainbow in terms of numbers, but face worse mental health outcomes than gay and lesbian. No bi specific questions. And I think that's a problem when you have organisations from New South Wales, which may be as the only jurisdiction in the country that doesn't recognise bi and it's anti-discrimination law, maybe need number plates for bi erasure state. Um, and I think when you've got Sydney-based Oxford Street organisations that are out of touch, um, leading, you know, sort of creating these events, I think that's really problematic. Um, there was no question on the detail of a federal LGBTI commissioner. It needs to be a statutory appointment to ensure that it, as much as possible, rises above the political hacks. But also, I question if it's the process of that appointment isn't doesn't have some grassroots community involvement, and it'll just be a sort of high-powered corporate recruitment firm doing it who doesn't understand the diversity, intersectionality and current and future needs of all of our communities. So there was no chance to ask those sorts of questions or about why we're falling behind on the pathetically discriminatory standards on blood donation. Has Labor committed to the, uh, the Commissioner? I know they did it the last campaign. Is that policy in 2022? I believe it's still there. I tried to get a hold of Penny Wong afterwards and she just sort of made a vague comment about uh, Mark Dreyfus being on top of it and then sort of walked off. So I don't really know. Um, but I think it needs to be a very thorough process. I don't just, I'm don't. i just worried that I don't want any, you know, sort of one, you know, who's perhaps too closely tied to any political party at all getting it just because they're a political favourite. Senator Andrew Bragg was online representing the Liberal Party at the forum last night. Uh, how did he respond or did he talk about the incredible damage that Scott Morrison's campaigning against the trans community is doing? Uh, did he talk about nice, that? Nice, kind words about acknowledging the hurt. Um, but as some people have right, rightfully and reasonably said online today, well, it's all very well for you to fund queer mental health. Well, stop creating the mental health damage in the first place. And I think that, you know, our, our communities are very good at seeing through um, anything that isn't fully, fully, fully or deep enough. And I think that those sorts of statements can come across as a little um, shallow and I'll, I'll invent a big word here, platitudinous, um, you know, as platitudes. And I think we need better than that. I'll be fair, I think he's genuinely probably a reasonable person and, as I say, stuck in a party full of social conservatives. But, um, you know, and he was probably in a difficult position and kept qualifying everything by saying, well, my personal position is. But it's a reminder that he is, as a moderate or smaller liberal, he's in a minority in the Liberal National Party. And it's so telling, isn't it, that a Liberal moderate has to say that policy positions are, are his personal view and not the party's platform. That's pretty telling. Absolutely, yeah. And I think the whole stage managed thing, I mean, I don't, you know, I think I think our communities overall are mature enough to ask questions. I'll use the word assertively. We don't have to shout and scream, but we do need to ask tougher questions. And I and feel deeply concerned that the so-called leading LGBTI organisations, self-proclaimed peaks that arrange that, set such a low standard, and it's really disconcerting that there isn't that sort of grassroots input. And I've been pondering on and off as I've had time today about how to remedy that. I don't want to, just want to sit here and you know bring up um, issues. It's what the solutions are. I just honestly haven't had... I don't think in less than 24 hours I've got the time for the answers, but I think um, that... I think that was not an acceptable standard of, of event last night. There were some funding announcements. The Libs announced $4.3 million for mental health funding that would support the LGBTIQ community. Ironic considering how much damage they've done. Seems like a bit of a drop in the bucket. Uh, and the Labor Party, $9 million for the Australian Federation of AIDS Organisations and the National Association of People Living with AIDS uh, because the Libs have slashed funding in that regard. Were mm. there any more announcements? I... Um, haven't had a t- I'd be honest with you, I haven't had a chance to re-listen to it. I believe there were some others. Um, and then if people wanted, I did try to live tweet throughout it last night, given that I wasn't going to get a chance to ask questions. So there were some funding commitments. There were also questions asked about um, funding for age, LGBTI aged care, which is important and sometimes gets forgotten about. Um, and 
I'm sorry, I just can't quite remember the answer to that one um, off the top of my head. Of course you are from Bi Alliance Victoria, a pretty dynamic organisation and uh, has a really strong voice in the community that's getting louder uh, because bi people really do need a seat at the table and I think the forum last night shows that. Well, absolutely, putting the Bi Alliance hat on for this part, they re- you know, I wanted to have a chat with you because um, Bi Alliance, which has been running now for just over 12 years, although had a prede- had two predecessors in that there was a loose um, grouping of people doing by advocacy and my dear friends and colleagues, James and Rebecca, who started a discussion group, which is still going, and that hence the Alliance came together as an incorporated body, um, as I say, just over 12 years ago, and we are going. And, of course, there are, you know, there are more people feeling comfortable to identify authentically under the bi-plus or multi-gender-attracted sort of umbrellas, regardless of term used or no term at all, of course, and we are growing. And um, you know, Nevena uh, mentioned in your last conversation that there's been more funding for the LGBTIQ plus grants from the state government. That's a good thing. We have one of those at the moment where we have been doing some governance work, which we need to strengthen ourselves on, but also outreach. And we do need to reach by plus people. In that last weekend, I was up at a great event at Castle Main, Castle Main Pride, which was a great time, um, lots of networking and um, a bit of fun with um, Polly Filler and also um, some line dancing demonstrations, which the latter, of course, impressed this country and West have had no end. But seriously, the thing that got me was the number of people saying, oh, there's more and more people identifying as bi, particularly those who are in, I'll say, in inverted commas, one male, one female relationships that double inverted commas, appear heterosexual. Where do those people find a sense of connection to their self in a safe way? And this is the main reason we have this grant, but the moment we are a couple of committee members down due to vacancies, you know, we, um, you know, we know people who volunteer, it can be a tough thing and they've got other commitments. We know that our community sometimes have worse health outcomes. So the reason I wanted to chat to you today is we do have a couple of vacancies on our committee and dare I say in my best Harvey Milk voice, we're recruiting bisexuals and we'd love to um, you to get in touch with us if you are part of the bi community in Victoria. So what's the process? They send you people, you guys, um, uh, an email? Like, is there an election process? Like, talk us through it. Yeah, so um, just send an email to treasurer at bi-alliance.org or you can look for me on Facebook or other social media platforms as that treasurer. And it'll just be an informal chat with a couple of us to, you know, just sort of check things out, um, you know, check out your level of knowledge. And it's a this process is that you'd be involved in a committee meeting, which we're still doing on Zoom because we do have a couple of regional members at the moment, uh, one to one and a half hours a month. And then there'd be work, as you're able to do, or when I say work, um, input in implementing that LGBTIQ grant, again, thanks to the Victorian government. And as I did last week, you'd get a chance to get out and represent BAB at Pride events like um, such as Castle Main Pride or Chill Out, which was also awesome a couple of months ago, or be with us at Pride March. And just um, generally... BAB um, buzzing in and sh- um, doing some, dare I say, some bi-vis. And so it's obviously when you're volunteering, we accept that it's as much as you can offer, but that minimum of committee and being involved would be one thing. But the other thing I'm going to go off the cuff is we've recognised as we've been going through our strategic planning that we think we've got some solid foundations and do good work that perhaps people aren't aware of us. And one thing I know we'd really love is someone who could perhaps put in some steady time, even if it's just an hour a week, um, to consistently promote stuff on social media uh, outside of the committee roles, or they could be a committee member as well. That would be awesome as well. This, dare I say, this 56-year-old still at 102 or 103 on social media at times, and it's, that's not my thing. So that'd be a few things you could do. We'd love to, um, as I say, recruit bisexuals. And speaking of social media and Castlemaine Pride, I saw a great photo of you and our commissioner here in Victoria, Todd Fernando, at a table nattering away. Uh, he's a great ally for the community. He's awesome. He's just mega awesome, awesome. He's just, um, I think he's doing, you know, he's 
gentleness, his first official engagement as commissioner after getting the full-time job last year was to open the Stand By Us conference in September, which I think is a good is a great thing. But he just came over, sat down, and looked. One of our committee members who had not met him before, and he's very, very good on consent. Just they reached over and hugged him, and was like, "Oh, we've never met before. We should have asked about consent." But that's the sort of guy Todd is. You just you feel like you want to hug him. He's I think he's very genuine. He very much understands the grassroots, and then can relay that up in a good way to the proverbial brass or powers that be. And I, I think that his sense and empathy for intersectionality is really awesome. So I think we're in very good, I just say very warmly, we're in very good hands there. And um, hopefully, um, you know, maybe some more good news um, coming soon on that front um, But um, for the bi community. But, um, you know, right now I think that just, yeah, the fact that we just, the three of us who were there representing bi Alliance chatted just forever with him and just had such a good time is really cool. Silly, always wonderful to chat with you and in your face. And, of course, people can hear you this Sunday and every Sunday at noon on Our The Pan here on 3CR. They can indeed. And I've got a very exciting... I, um, thank you for that because a very exciting guest um, this Sunday. I have um, live from America um, um, someone who... I, you know, I First time I've heard of this, and I'm sure there are people... It's a trans woman who's a sexologist, which is, I think an issue that trans people haven't had enough trans input on. So I'm really excited about that one. So, um, you know, tune in to um, 3CR and all the great queer community programs and, dare I say, keep community strong. Absolutely. Our Radiothon slogan uh, coming up in June. Sally, always great to chat and I can't wait to hear out of the pan this Sunday. It sounds truly riveting. Thanks, James. You have a good afternoon. Sally Goldner there, you are on In Your Face on 3CR, and here's Moby.
Moby there from his classic album play. That was Southside. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James, joined by Matthew Connell. Matthew stars in uh, the play are called low at uh, Theatre Works Explosives Factory from May 17 to 21. Uh, Matthew, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me, and happy Friday to all of your listeners. Indeed. Um, Low sounds absolutely fascinating, very edgy, set in Melbourne in 1991 during the recession, uh, explores some of the darker sides of street life in this town. Tell us more. Yes, so um, the writer is Daniel Keane, who um, is a kind of uh, playwright legend we have in here in Melbourne. Um, So he wrote this play, Low, in 1990, uh, and um, I came across it a few years ago, and it's a two-hander. It's kind of a Bonnie and Clyde story about um, two um, lovers, um, young, mid-twenties, out of work, out of luck, and so they start robbing 7-Elevens to get some cash. And the the script was so um, intense and so kind of... uh, It was like this... this, um, this street poetry. And so then I Googled it and I saw that there have been hardly any productions of it since it was written, which I just found astounding. Um, So here we are. Wow. So it sounds like you're having a field day with it and it sounds like you're digging deep. Uh, You co-star alongside Veronica Thomas. Tell us about some of the themes it explores. It sounds intense. Yeah, so... The, the real heart of the whole story is we have our two young characters who are really coming to terms with the fact that life is not what they tell you in stories. Um, there was this kind of Australian dream that we um, are all sold, that um, you can grow up and you'll find the love of your life and you'll get a home, you can have kids. It's a land of wealth and prosperity. And they find that that isn't the case at all. So the major theme of the piece is really trying to um, recapture some kind of sense of lost innocence um, and coming to terms with the fact that the world is harsh. Um, You know, the world can be very harsh. And even though it was written over 30 years ago, uh, some of the themes sound like they're pretty poignant today with people being disillusioned in what they've been sold, not being, you know, the truth. Uh, indeed, what is the truth so often these days, but also the bleakness. Yeah. Uh, and we're, you know, experiencing that in the world with the crackdowns on democracy, economic decay, and, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, is there kind of a modern-day interpretation that you just find yourself, you know, giving this, this work as an actor? Well, you know, the the, the amazing thing is, is it, it was written 30 years ago, but you listen to it and it's totally relevant now and in not just relevant it resonates very very deeply um now and especially after the last three years and what we've all gone through and the thing is with um you know economically we are all only a few paychecks away from being very vulnerable and so to see these two people go through it on stage and when you know it was written 30 years ago in australia you think my god it just travels through time um, and we very like we have not said it now. We've not modernised it. We've said it when it was written, because we think that through that distance you can really see the reflection. It sounds like the two characters go through a bit of a mental health spiral downwards. Uh, there's alcoholism that's an issue that's explored. Uh, there's sexual references. Uh, you make it clear. You know, that's not for kids. Uh, what's it like mm. for you and, and Veronica, who plays Emma? What's it like for you kind of going down that path as actors? Well, um, I think I can speak for both of us when I say that we started the rehearsal process um, where we really just tried to break its back as early as possible. We really went into the, um, the depths of um, where these characters go uh, just so that we could really plunge ourselves in and actually get the truth of that. And it was kind of horrific for a few weeks. But since then, it's really been a process of lifting it up and finding the elation in it and the joy and the humour, because the play, even though the themes are really heavy, they're two young larrikins. They're, they're very funny. They, they just skip along the surface of it all in that way that is so recognisably um, Australian. 
So it sounds like you're in a really good headspace when it comes to this role and this production. Uh, it sounds like you've come through some darkness, though, when you said you, you know, broke its back pretty early. Um, mm. What was that like? How do you keep yourself sane? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a very good question. I don't know that I have. Um, uh, yeah, it was... I just thought that if I don't really go there as quickly as possible... Um, I won't have a base note to the character. It won't. I don't. I didn't believe that audiences would believe that I could really do the things that I have to do on stage. Um, so for me, that was just um, a really important part of the process. Have I stayed sane? I don't know. Maybe not. Um, but you know, I think it makes for great watching um, in the theatre. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, what's it like for you, though, when you actually, you, you know, you've been rehearsing, obviously, for a while, but come mm. May 17, you're going to be performing in front of an audience. Uh, do mm. you go there again in terms of, you know, that breaking the back stuff? I mean, do you find that kind of new emotions kick in? Um, what's it mm. like performing a play like this? I know you did King Lear, so you're, you're, used, to, you're used to pretty intense stuff. Mm. Yeah, well, it you you just really never know. It's why we have that preview performance because you you put the text in front of people watching it for the first time, and what they resonate with might be completely different to what you had in your head. And so people will laugh at certain things. People will give you their attention in places that you um, don't expect. Uh, I'm, I'm particularly looking forward to it with this piece because it's a piece that was that comes out of Melbourne 30 years ago. So I really wonder what people right now are going to experience when they go through the production. Um, but there's, there's a lot of anticipation from us just to see how it resonates. You said at the start that, you know, this, this play hadn't really been touched much since, since it was, you know, first performed, you know, all mm. those years ago. Why do you think that that is? Is it because it, it is pretty black, pretty dark? Um, is it because it depicts a kind of unfortunate period in Melbourne's history? Like, yeah, what do you think that's I, about? I, I just don't know because I think it's so brilliant. I, I can't believe the opportunity hasn't been taken up much before. I'm not saying that there haven't been any, but I can't, when we research, we really can't find any reviews or any photographs. There's a production in France um, that uh, you can find a little bit of it on YouTube because Daniel Keane's writing is um, really popular in France. They love him over there. And um, uh, there has there was a film adaptation uh, in 2007 with Cat Stewart, actually, um, at, although it goes by a different t- uh, title. I think it's called Emma 4J. Um, and it was uh, it was critically acclaimed overseas, but um, tanked in Australia, as is unfortunately usually the case. Um, so I, I just don't know. And so interesting, it was performed as a play in France. And if you look at French politics and... And the cynicism uh, over there, and if you look at the period in Melbourne that was happening in, you can kind of see why the French would like it so much. Well, and revolution. You know, the French understand revolution, and our our two characters um, decide that they don't want to do play by the rules anymore. They want to make up their own um, way of doing things. Uh, so I think that resonates with the French um, a lot. So it really is an activist play. It's subversive. Yes, absolutely. You know, they they may be breaking the law um, and they may be very troubled in what they're doing um, and they may not do it right, but they are revolutionaries and they are rebels. It sounds like you really believe in this play, like, you know, you in, you innately, inherently believe in it, like it's really struck a chord with you. Why do you believe in it so much? Do you think? Well, it, it, I also believe in our company, who's who's producing it, Victorian Theatre Company. Everything that we've done so far, except for Shakespeare, has come out of Melbourne. Has been written in Melbourne. We've rehearsed and performed it in Melbourne, where a company based in St Kilda, um, and we feel very connected to the community here. Um, and so, the fact that this this is this kind of um, intense gem of a piece that comes out of 1990 Melbourne um, 
Uh, yeah, we're, we're all very passionate about it. It just fits in with our theme as a company really, really well. Matthew, what's next for you on the theatrical front? Uh, next, after this play, we are going to be producing another work later this year, which we um, haven't announced yet. So I'll be um, stepping into a producer role for that. Um, and in terms of me as an actor on the stage... Um, I don't know. We'll have to see how the review go, the, the reviews go for this performance <laughs> to see whether I'll get back on stage. <laughs> Could you see yourself doing film as the industry revives here in Australia? Yeah, absolutely. I've done film um, all throughout uh, my my career so far. Although my major language is theatre, um, but with with film and TV, it really just it comes up in the most unexpected of times, and you just go with it. Um, so yeah, I, I I would love to. Now I know you can't tell us what the production is later this year, the theatre production, but can you give us any clues? Uh, yeah, so we um, run a second business, a Victorian theatre company that we've called Scene, which is um, an online streaming service for independent Melbourne arts. So you can get podcasts, filmed plays, radio plays, um, short films, all made in Melbourne that are distributed on there so we can funnel revenue back to those artists. So we will be making a piece later on this year that will be made specifically for scene. So it will be an, an online show. Fantastic. Now, of course, Low commences with a preview May 17. Your opening night, I believe, is May 18. And you run until the 21st at Theatre Works Explosives Factory in Inkerman Street in St Kilda. Yes, their new venue that they've just opened. And it's a converted warehouse, so it fits perfectly with our show. Matthew Connell, thank you so much for joining me today on In Your Face and congratulations on Low. It sounds absolutely extraordinary. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Cheers. Matthew Connell there chatting about Low at TheatreWorks. You are on In Your Face on 3CR and here are the strokes.
In Your Face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their sponsorship of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook. Facebook.